Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm a nutritionist and an exercise physiologist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. And this is Phil Stevens. I'm a competitive powerlifter, Highland Games athlete. I run Strength Guild and USSF. And this is John Mike. I'm finishing up my PhD in exercise science. I'm a team member and columnist for EliteFTS.com, and I write for major fitness and bodybuilding magazines. Hey, this is Keith Norris. I'm a partner at Efficient Exercise and ArcFit Equipment. I'm also the co-founder of PaleoFX. Right on. Hey, we're going to get to uh, Keith and his origin story in just a minute and a little bit more on him, of course. Um, I have two bits of news that I need to bring up. One uh, is from a listener. And again, I don't get all our listener mail you know, out every week, but this is the one that I, I saw first. So... Strength and Muscle Sport News. Um, this is, is from a blog. It's from uh, one of our listeners found this, and he was concerned. He said, are you guys concerned about this? So um, it's from blog.priceplow.com, uh, and the article is a protein scam and amino acid spiking. It says, is your protein really protein, the amino acid spiking scam? So uh, this guy says, if you've been using supplements, there's no way you could have missed this. But honestly, I think a lot of people could have missed this. Uh, It says protein prices are constantly rising. Uh, A lot of this came to light when Gatorade started adding protein to their products. Now, it is true. Gatorade begrudgingly did that because for the longest time, they didn't really want to admit that protein was important to glycogen resynthesis, you know, repacking carbs in your muscles and whatnot. But anyway, it says... To make up for terrible profit margins because of the rising cost of protein, some companies have found a way to what they say is game the system in a completely legal manner. So here's the – they actually have – this is a huge article, and they have a rundown, the TLDR, you know, too long, didn't read version of this. And basically it says uh, some companies are spiking proteins with a couple of amino acids to make the grams of protein number on the label larger. So in other words, you think you're getting a 25-gram scoop of protein, but it could be 18 grams, and the other seven is just stuffed with you know a couple of handful of amino acids. Uh, they're particularly pointing at things like taurine and glycine, I think, uh, but also creatine, because, of course, creatine is sort of a, a dipeptide. It says they are counting the added amino acids as dietary protein on the label. They know that adding one or two single amino acids is very cheap, and it's a way to basically falsely boost that protein grams number they say due to the fda's extremely loose and haphazard definition of quote unquote protein this practice is technically legal and they are saying basically never buy protein with creatine in it because again those amino acids spike the protein grams number and strongly avoid proteins that boast uh, they have extra taurine glycine or glutamine in the ingredients list, unless, of course, they have the full amino acid profile uh, listed. And then it says, major update, there was recently a class action lawsuit. Um, Body Fortress, GNC, and a few others have had class action complaints filed against them, apparently, about this. Now, 
my first thought on this is that this is exactly what I've said about protein bars for years. Not so much that they're adding single amino acids, but actually what I consider even worse is they stuff protein bars with collagen and gelatin. Mm -hmm. You know, and these things are, have so few amino acids in them that they're they're almost biologically useless. I mean, they might have some impact on reducing hunger or, or what have you. You know, listeners, you know, complete proteins are generally animal proteins, whey arguably the best, and, you know, those are great for protein synthesis and muscle building. Incomplete proteins are usually plants. Uh, soy comes close to being complete protein, but it's still not as anabolic as uh, other proteins generally. But anyway... Uh, I've always been concerned that they've been inflating that gram of protein number uh, with junk proteins. You know, I mean, collagen is hooves and horns. You know, that's mm-hmm. not making anybody big. Um, and I'll point to stuff like pork rinds. Pork rinds, it depends on the package, but you'll see eight grams of protein per serving. And then parentheses says not a significant source of protein. That's because the protein is so poor in quality. There's like, I don't know, three or four amino acids in that crap, you know, and instead of having all nine essential amino acids and all that sort of stuff. So I don't know. Have you guys heard anything about this? Um, Phil, do you see this? I mean, spiked with amino acids to, I mean, I don't know. Are you offended by this or what do you think the deal is here? I, I hadn't heard about it. Um, I, you know, I've definitely not put it past the industry of doing that, you know? Yeah. yeah the you creatine know, I don't... thing I could see cause creatine is not meant to be, you know what I mean? Part of a protein, but I, to me, protein yeah. co- powder companies, they've been, boasting how many grams of leucine is in their protein for a long time. It's almost the reverse. Yeah. Instead of adding mm-hmm. leucine, they'll say, look how much leucine is in there. And that's just naturally in there. Or yeah. like glutamine, like you've said before, it's yeah. always one of the bigger amino acids in content. It's like when you get butter at the store and it says gluten-free. It's like, no shit, it's always been gluten-free. Right. It's, always, <laughs> it's naturally like that, right? Protein naturally yeah. has glutamine and leucine. <sighs> yeah. and sort of, That's sort of the flip of this. The, he's yeah. saying they're, they're spiking it on purpose to make that number Hot. Oh, and the real food now that, man, I, I I just don't pay attention to it much. I really don't do many protein powders and stuff. Yeah. Well, it's because they're always doing this kind of crap. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. What do you think, John? Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I haven't I've come across that particular article that you were reading, but, I mean, I am well aware that various protein bars, you know, just they are full of just collagen and just kind of crap that, that really don't do any value, <laughs> you know, to, to the amino acid content of the protein bars. They just do it because it's... It's cheap and um, you know to, to to get revenue, so to speak. Right. Um, but they're, they're, one of the one of the protein bars that I do kind of, and it's right on the tip of my tongue. I can't think of it. It actually has whey isolate in it. I, I actually eat them quite a bit, but God, I can't can't think of the name of it right off my head. But they're they're, they're sold in most stores actually. Right now, this guy's actually talking about the protein powders. I think the mm-hmm. one thing I'm taking yeah. away from this is I've always been wary of the bars, but the protein powders. I thought were a relatively safer bet. Mm-hmm. But if they're taking just one or two amino acids, I mean, for example, let's say five grams of your 25 is added taurine, you know, or tyrosine. Yeah. Some single amino acids have drug-like effects when you mm-hmm. take them in very large individual amounts. Would that happen in this case? I mean, that's how why energy drinks, you know, have taurine and tyrosine and mm-hmm. some of these other things. But when you mix it with 15 or 20 other grams of real protein instead of a single amino acid, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe they wouldn't have that pharmaceutical effect, but maybe they would. I don't know. So this is just strange to me that they're taking the cheapest of the amino acids mm-hmm. and just spiking one or two in there to get to inflate their, their number. Well, it doesn't surprise me, though. 
then. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. In fact, I, I do a class exercise where we go look at labels. You know, we we look at the grams, we look at the nutrition facts panel, and then we go look at the ingredients. You know, and then some of the bars that are, you know, there's these repeat offenders. Uh, for a while, I don't know if it's still true, but the muscle milk bars were huge as far as having you know bogus, uh, not added amino acids like in this case, but you know large amounts of collagen or gelatin very high on the list. Uh, I'm trying to think of some of the different bars. I go to Target and get them. But the point is you got to look beyond the gram numbers, and mm-hmm. you've got to go to the ingredients list. Yeah, that's uh, almost the first thing that I look at anymore. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and I think this is a similar thing. But I think the take-home note is, I mean, if you are relying on any of these powders or bars as, like, a main source of your dietary protein, yeah, exactly. you need to address your diet. I'm not worried about it by taking, you know, even if I'm taking a freaking scoop a day, you know, if if 25 of my total grams for the day is coming from that and I'm missing five because it's jacked up taurine or whatever, I'll be be okay. That's a good point. Yep. Because it's just a snack out of a huge daily intake. Right. And it's kind of the age old uh, label painting idea, right? So just because a product has, say, beta alanine and it doesn't mean that it's a pharmaceutical dose or an effective dose of beta alanine um mm-hmm. this is just another derivative of that idea and buyer buyer beware oh yeah no <laughs> doubt yeah you start getting into stuff like sometimes they'll list the amino acid content of a protein you know they'll break down the full amino acid profile and they'll do it in milligrams and i'm right. like okay everybody knows you measure this stuff in grams mm-hmm. you know don't give me milligrams to make the number look a thousand times larger and look impressive or like you're saying there's not really an effective dose of some of this other stuff they sprinkle it in so they can put it on the label Mm-hmm. Yeah, but what? So I, I wasn't aware of this. Uh, I don't know. I'll try to keep tabs on this class action lawsuit where people are calling them out. So it's good to have some consumer advocates call them out. The other thing I got was from um, Joey Antonio, Dr. Antonio, uh, just through the grapevine. It's from Science Daily. They're a real nice source of uh, legitimate info if anybody's interested, sciencedaily.com. But um, – the t- article is entitled Little Change Seen in Fast Food Portion Size or Product Formulations Between 1996 and 2013. Here's the brief summary. Two new reports show that fast food portion sizes and product formulations, including the sodium content and fat, stayed about the same between 1996 and 2013. The exception wow. was a consistent decline in trans fat of the fries between 2000 and 2009. And I've talked about that in class before. People used to freak out about trans fats, but generally uh, a lot of large, reputable companies are getting the trans fats out of their products because people are voting with their wallets. You know, they don't want mm-hmm. them. Uh, it's, it's less of an issue than it used to be. But it says, nevertheless, the um, calorie and sodium contents remain high, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Let me give you some quotes or one or two quotes from the article. There is a perception that restaurants have significantly expanded portion sizes over the years. You know, you always hear, like, dietitians warning not to supersize products and this and that. Uh, It says, but the fast food we assess does not appear to be part of that trend, says Lichtenstein, who is also the Stanley Gershoff professor at the Friedman School of Nutrition Science uh, at Tufts University. Our analysis indicates it's been relatively consistent at least in the quantities of calories, saturated fat, and sodium. They go on to give some numbers. For example, uh, they looked at some of the big restaurant chains, and it says among the chains, calories in a large cheeseburger meal, 
with fries and a regular cola beverage ranged from uh, about 1,100 to about 1,800 calories uh, over the years. And among the restaurants, uh, it basically it represents 57 to 88% of an average person's intake of 2,000 calories per day. Now, to our listeners, <laughs> you know, you could double that 2,000. A lot of us have a 4,000 calorie mm-hmm. d- demand probably. But, yeah, 1,100 to 1,800 roughly calories in one of those cheeseburger meals with fries and a Coke. Of those things, I think the Coke offends me the most, frankly. But mm-hmm. yeah. uh, it says, Lichtenstein and colleagues focused on the four most popular menu items. Fries, cheeseburgers, grilled chicken sandwiches, and regular cola. Uh, it does say there's some fluctuations between chains, though. Let's see. For example... An order of small fries could differ by as many as 110 calories and 320 milligrams of sodium from chain to chain. To me, 110 calories, I mean, I don't eat like I used to, but so what? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. That's, that's not a large amount. Yeah. That's like a piece of bread. <laughs> right. No, that's right. But, you know, it is interesting that a small fry is not a small fry is not a small fry. Yeah. yeah, but just like you, Lonnie, I, I, the the Coke concerns me the most. I mean, but in the combination of the fries and the and the, and the burgers, I mean, God, that has like bad body composition written all over it. Oh, does it not? Fry? I can't think of a more physique wrecking meal than regular Coca Cola and French fries. Right. <laughs> well, and that's if anything's changed over the years, that's the side of the size of sodas. You know, yeah, but I don't know. I mean, when you I was can, younger, like, you can still buy like forty-four ounce, you know, sixty-four ounce drinks. I mean, I know what the oh, most, yeah. most movie theaters now a, a small drink is actually like a like a medium. Exactly, yeah. exactly. That's what I'm saying. I mean, like I remember when I saw like my first thirty-two ounce soda, and now that's like regular. Right. Exactly. You know, that's a small <laughs> size now. It's funny they don't even have small. I remember when I was a kid, they had small, medium, and large. That's yeah. straightforward right. talk. Now you you get like you know. Tall, grande, and venti, you know, and they only go down to medium. The smallest mm-hmm. is medium because mm-hmm. small yeah. has negative connotations, you know, mm-hmm. so people want the bucket. Um, there's no doubt. I, I've been out with Kelly before, and I'll be like, just give me a, a medium Diet Coke or something. I don't drink a lot of it, but uh, – and they give me this this bucket. You know, it's like what I remember, like the size of a fried chicken bucket, you know, and I'm like, yeah. that's a yeah. medium? At the, mov- at the small – at the movie theater anymore, the small is 32 ounce. That's crazy. I know. Well, that's why they tried to control that. Remember in New York this past year, they tried to cap it. And, you know, their argument was per serving, people consume more because you're not as likely to go back for a second one, you know, if if it's a smaller size, like enforced. I don't know. But Mm -hmm. so it looks like there's not much difference, at least as far as this Tufts University uh, study. Yeah. I don't know. Now, to me, it seems like they, they skimp on the regular size things. And the real risk is the supersizing, right? Because it's actually, it's fiscally logical. Uh, it's, you know, financially logical to be obese these days. Because for 33 more cents, you get yeah. twice as much food when you supersize it. Or at least it seems And they like. always ask you that. They say, you know, would you like to add, would you like to supersize this for 50 cents more? <laughs> but it's yeah. confusing because some things are smaller. Like if you look at a can of pop or a juice or whatever, it's not 12 ounces. Now it's often 11. And people don't always catch this. And, of course, it's not uniformly like that. But some things they shrink to try to skimp and save money. Mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And then on other things, they, they're bigger and bigger. And like Phil said, I mean, how much does it, does it cost? That 32-ounce pop, that's like less than a nickel. 
probably yeah. to yeah. actually produce. You know, so those things are pure profit. I remember Fortress, he would always get like two, three entrees. The waitress is staring at him, you know, and but no drink. And he would do it for financial reasons. He'd be like, I'm not going to pay $1.79 for something. It's like four pennies. (laughs) (laughs) And it's true. So I got one one deal of news here. So we've been talking about the Iron Radio sponsorship thing. And we're going to go and let one of them out. I am still... Going through the uh, the resumes for the for the ladies, um, and I'm sorry, that's not, nothing but my fault. It's just been crazy here with me opening a new facility and the holidays and everything else. But we're going to go ahead and announce the guy who's who's going to be sponsored by Iron Radio, and it was a tough choice. And like I kind of explained briefly on the show a couple weeks ago, it didn't come down to just like athletic ability. We kind of looked at everything. It was you know we wanted somebody that is Iron Radio approved all the way around. So you know a great person and out there in the community and post a lot and an avid listener. Anyway, so um, JP Price is now sponsored by Iron Radio. <laughs> so congrats, JP. He just did a meet and I was actually uh, at the meet running the table. Oh geez, about four weeks ago, and put up a twenty-one thirty-three total. Uh, squatted 881. Boom. Uh, benched in the fives and deadlifted in the sevens. And, you know, that's pretty good numbers for anybody. And for somebody that's been doing it less than 24 months, that's wow. really good. So, oh, wow. Um, yeah. So, yeah, JP has a, a, a strong future ahead of him. And, and I know he's totally excited. So. Uh, belt and wraps. Okay. You know, so, yeah, he's a raw lifter. So, 21-33 raw. And he was a super. And he's looking to... Now slowly whittle himself down and try and keep his total up above two thousand as he as he drops weight. So is he going to get down to two seventy five? Is that what you're saying? Or yeah, I think well his next goal is three hundred eight and hit a twenty. He wants twenty two hundred pounds. Okay, and uh, the squat over nine hundred. So Oof. um and and go from there. So yeah, the big numbers for a uh, for a raw guy, no matter what. Congrats, JP. We'll have you on the show soon, and uh, glad to help you out, man. Thanks yeah. for listening. Absolutely. Support a career like that. Yeah. All right. Well, Keith, thanks for being patient with us. Right on. Enjoyed the conversation so far. So tell us about yourself. Uh, we heard through the grapevine, through Dr. Nelson, you know, that you were uh, adept with eccentric training and that sort of thing. So that's going to be our topic of the day, uh, you know, new ways to look at eccentric training. Uh, but let's let's hear about you. So obviously you don't just – wake up one day and say, hey, you think I'm going to be really good at eccentric training? <laughs> so, I mean, what what's your origin story? Yeah, so just really quickly, um, I grew up in South Texas, ran AAU track and field. That's That was my foray into athletics. Um, did that as a young kid. That was back in the day, and I'm, I'm old enough to where um, I can remember AAU being the um, – being the talent locator for the U.S. Olympics, and that's that's going back, you know, late seventies, early eighties time frame. Um, was a really really good sprinter as a young kid, but kind of flowered into this uh, thick calved kind of body that, um, you know, after a while I got tired of being run down after sixty meters. So um, transferred into into football. And had a fantastic football career, fit right into it, um, was, a, was a really, really good player, um, played, at, uh, played here at Texas State. Um, but I was always one of those kids that was a good athlete and, um, you know, good enough to get a, a football scholarship. But I had to train my ass off to stay on the field with, with guys who were, who were more talented, 
just had more raw talent. So I had to figure out a way to train <clears throat> both physically and in the film room to, to be able to stay out on the field and compete. Um, I really loved this strength and conditioning aspect. And I've been lucky enough, even since, you know, being a kid, being surrounded by fantastic forward thinking coaches. And that really lit a, a fire under me to find out more. I always wanted to, to know more and fine tuning the human body, whether through nutrition or through exercise was just something that resonated with me. And I, and I just wanted to go on and find out more. Um, at the time my playing career was over with, there really wasn't, you know, a strength and conditioning specialist really hadn't come about yet. I mean, we had, uh, we had Boyd Epley out in Nebraska, but there wasn't many Boyd Epleys running around and nobody was making money at it except maybe Boyd. So um, I went into the military after that. I had a, a family by this time, so I had to make money. I couldn't do the graduate assistant thing and, and beat around you know that way. Uh, spent nine years in the Navy, um, left the Navy, went into the pharmaceutical industry, actually. And it, the whole time, I'm still training, still reading everything I can get my hands on. Um, and it was all uh, performance-based. So I wasn't necessarily into bodybuilding so much. I wasn't into Olympic lifting other than to steal lifts and derivative lifts from the Olympic lifters. And I wasn't necessarily a power lifter, but I stole ideas from that and cobbled together training routines, both for myself and for uh, the people I was training on the side for performance based. Um, and that's just a real, real, you know, 30,000 foot level of where I've come from. Um, I left the pharmaceutical industry six years ago now and uh, partnered with my current partner right now, Mark Alexander, in efficient exercise and in um, ArxFit training systems. And we'll talk a little bit about the ArxFit when we get into the uh, eccentric training or eccentric, as we say here in the South. So, um, what was the impetus then for this new company? I mean, like the, and again, I don't want to make this sound like an advertisement. Of course, that's not what sure, we do, yeah, but, yeah. but the point being is, so is the eccentric part of a, a big thrust in like the mission of this company or, or what was the purpose of forming the company? Right on. So, so our whole niche and our training with the uh, efficient exercise studios that we have here in Austin and San Antonio is time efficient training. So if you look at a, if you look at, you know, who are our, our demographic, who is the demographic we serve? Attorneys, um, entrepreneurs, people who don't have an, a whole lot of time to hang out in the gym, but they want to be fit and they want to be as healthy as possible. Um, and we just kind of stumbled upon that niche. So we're constantly looking for for both programming and tools to be able to help us get a, a very, very thorough workout in the shortest period of time possible. So that Obviously, when we're talking short, bang for the buck, you go to eccentric work. I mean, that's the, the that's the that's the most bang for the buck you can get from a from a workout and from a modality. And we'll probably get into a little bit about why that is here in a minute. But that that led us towards searching for new ways to to affect the eccentric portion of the movement, mostly. And as an overall, um, throughout the entire repetition, um, getting the most we can out of every, every repetition. Okay. Well, yeah, let's not drift too far. That sounds sure. good. So a nice setup. Let's go to break. Uh, and when we come back, uh, we're going to talk about eccentric training. 
uh, and maybe get some new insights and angles and that sort of thing about, actually, it's one of my favorite uh, modalities. So we'll be right back. Hi, this is Dr. Lowry with an update on the protein book that you hear about in the ad at the end of the show. Uh, If you simply Google CRC Press in protein, uh, there's a new development. On the right side of the page, you can see ebook, and there's a purchase slash rent option. And the cool thing here is if you check that out now, because they have an agreement with Vital Book, uh, you can actually download the ebook for $69 US dollars. So that's 31% off the $99.95 uh, cover price. So that's pretty fantastic. $69, I think that's going to drop it into the affordable range for a lot of people. And you can even rent it. Uh, lower down the page, they have 180-day rentals and one-year rentals. So you can access the book in electronic format and get some of this juicy information. So thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, You can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, It's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So, Uh, Whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. Weekly Fix of Iron Radio. In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once per week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Okay, welcome back, everybody. It's John Mike and Phil Stevens, and I am Lonnie Lowry, and we are with Keith Norris, uh, and we're going to talk about eccentric training. A lot of people are familiar with negatives, you know, that's what makes you sore. Uh, And, of course, there's a whole list of things that are different about them. I mean, there's the initial mechanical tension. You can actually use extra weight. Uh, there's a metabolic kind of damage that ensues a little bit later. Uh, and John and I actually did a lot of work with this. John just now uh, on eccentric training. But we want to get Keith's perspective on some of this stuff. We were just talking before break about um, that Keith felt it was very efficient to use eccentrics with people, not just necessarily top competitors, but even the the lawyers and the you know other people that are crunched for time over their lunch break and that sort of thing. So let's start with that efficiency idea, Keith. Uh, what maybe expand on that? Like, what do you mean by the the fact that eccentrics are the way you know the go to uh, modality as far as training for you? 
Yeah, for you know, just to bring it up to a layperson's uh, perspective, it's you know how much inroading or muscle damage can you cause in a in the shortest period of time, mm-hmm. um, and that's really what it boils down to. Um, you need obviously you need enough damage to be done for the body to have to rebuild from, and that's you know just getting down to the to the short rows. The quickest way to do that is with properly programmed eccentrics. Okay. So I got a, one of my questions is like, you know, you, we talk about it and Lonnie, you and I have talked about this before. How, and you know, I've presented on eccentrics, gosh, this last year, probably like three or four times. And, and the, and the same question keeps coming up every time from, from, from people in the audience is how you actually program. Yeah. And you know, I, I, one of my articles of strength and conditioning journal just got accepted um, and it was, it's exactly that, like how to incorporate eccentrics into your program, because traditionally there are no guidelines, so to speak. You just kind of have to go based off, you know, either previous knowledge or just your own experience. And so how, how do you actually in, incorporate it? Do you use like certain exercises or, you know, certain volume or, you know, rep ranges? Like what, uh, do you have a, a specific like eccentric duration that you typically focus on more than others? Well, I've. I'm, I'm lucky, and, and I don't want to sound like a, a major advertiser here, but we do have access to equipment that uh, that we use at Efficient Exercise. It's called ArcsFit Equipment, um, and I have real-time readout as far as uh, force production for a trainee, and I can see in real-time how that force production is diminished repetition to repetition. Um, and then it's just knowing that client, knowing what that client is capable of, knowing, um, you know, his past history and knowing how much inroad to dose that client with for a particular exercise. And that's really what it comes down to. I just have, have access to, to instantaneous, um, biofeedback to be able to see that. You know, we um, were just talking about technology in real time, sort of console like readouts and that sort of thing in our year-end episode. So uh, let's talk about that just a little bit. Can you explain this equipment? I mean, is it very expensive? Can other people buy it? Uh, how prevalent is it? How does it work? All that stuff. Right on. So we, we just came out of about five years of beta testing, essentially. Um, and we have just rolled out. In fact, this week we'll be rolling out with our first uh, production models that are for sale. Um, which is why all of us um, involved in this company have gray hair now. I don't know if any of you have ever gone through a manufacturing process before, but it is, uh, we'll just say it's an undertaking. Um, so this this equipment has, um, well, I'll back up for this second. So essentially what it is is man versus machine. And the way I explain it to people who who can't see what I'm talking about right now is I will say, um, you know, just give an example, Lonnie, imagine that you're sitting at the end of a bench and you trust me implicitly and I pull up a fork truck in front of you and I lower the forks down at a at a uh, fixed speed and I'm going to have you do an overhead press with those forks. So I lower the forks, you resist as I lower the forks. Mm-hmm. I bring you all the way down to the most limiting position, and then I slowly raise the forks, and you're trying to raise the forks faster than um, than what I'm moving them up. Mm-hmm. Okay, so 
Forks come down. You're fighting the entire time. I give you about a six-second eccentric on the way down. We pause at the most limiting position. We turn, and then you try to push the forks back up at about a six-second clip. That's essentially what we've got going on. And there, now, now let me I've, just interject. So then there's sure. there are sensors that can tell, like, the, the newtons of force that the person is yes. producing? Yep, in real time. And the computer screen is fixed such so that uh, no matter what exercise we're doing, and we can do – just about every compound exercise you can think of, um, the trainee can see instantaneous force output, which is really, really cool. Um, so there's a couple things going on there. Number one, we're concentrating on, on eccentrics right now, but it's really, really cool to see things play out in real time that we know um, maybe textbook physiology, um, you know, the 40% um, stronger on the eccentric, which we always use as a thumb rule, right? You're 40% stronger in the eccentric than you are in the concentric for whatever movement, generally as a thumb rule. Well, it, it, it just uh, happens, just so happens that, yeah, that's pretty pretty much spot on from what we can see from this instantaneous readout. You are, in fact, about 40% stronger on the eccentric. Um, the other thing that's very, very cool about this stuff. Now, going back to the fork truck analogy, the one thing that's very, very cool about that is that you are taxed at every position in that movement, fully taxed on the eccentric, in the concentric too, but we're talking about eccentric here. Mm -hmm. So if you can imagine um, going all out, so obviously when your elbows are almost fully extended, that's where you're going to be able to produce the greatest force on the eccentric motion. We're talking an overhead press here. So the forks start to come down. You give it everything you've got trying to stop the forks as they're slowly lowering down on you. And if you were able to see that force output, you would see a spike in that position, and you would see your force output slowly start to decrease if you, as you come down to the most limited position right about chest level. And this plays out. And one thing that that – that shocks people when they get on this equipment is if you're used to doing eccentrics by loading up the bar with a heavy weight and slowly lowering it, that feel on this equipment is totally different because it's automatically adaptive to your, to your elbow position. So how much, like if you're, if they're doing like a bench or something like that, um, what dumbbells or whatever, uh, um, how much volume are they doing like set rep wise? You, you said you're doing a, a six-second eccentric, but what about the concentric? Yeah, so the con the concentric is going to be about six seconds as well. Okay, okay. Yeah, so volume-wise, we're talking very, very little because it right. is super, super high intense. So they do this. Do they do this for like every every exercise they do for their whole program? No, no. I I uh, we program. You know, we cycle it around. So they might go upper body intensive, you know, one workout, lower body intensive, the other workout. And we also use barbells, dumbbells, body weight exercises, everything else, because, you know, this isn't the end-all, be-all tool. It's a great tool to have in the holster, but it's not everything. Barbells and dumbbells are great for other things. I looked at like 18 different variables in my dissertation when it came to muscle recovery. And some of these things, they don't reset for five days, seven days. I mean, you could even look at certain MRI variables. They don't even reset as far as recovery for all, all the way out to 30 days. So that really got my gears turning. And this goes back to what John asked earlier, which is 
How do you program around that? Obviously, you're not having someone do the same eccentric movement, even if you yeah. limit the volume every other yeah. day, right? Or how do you do that? I mean, yes. how many days a week and do you rotate body parts and hit each body part once a week to allow recovery? How do you allow for the well, recovery? So there's, so there's two things. It's uh, Volume-wise, it's very little, right? It's a very, very intense dose, so it's a very, very little volume. Most of our clients train twice a week with us. Not that we think they should should not do other stuff on the days off. I mean, I encourage them to, you know, even do light bodybuilding routines on their quote unquote off days when they're not with me. Um, but you rotate through the compound exercises to where they'll hit the same exercise maybe once every two weeks, something like that. Okay. And one thing you'll find out too is just like with everything else, you train into this, right? So th- there is a work capacity associated with doing eccentrics too. After a while, you, you, for lack of a better term, you, you create some immunity to it, right? Yeah, you yeah. recover from this stuff all the hell of a lot sure. quicker once you start. Right. So, 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 so when you find that they're, they're, they're doing the eccentric stuff, um, do you find that over time, like if they'll, they'll get really sore right after the first time they do yep. it, then when they come back, you find they get less sore because you do have, you know, Lonnie, you do have the repeat about effect going on. No and that's doubt. highly variable too yep. because it depends on if you're untrained or trained. And all of our guys were trained, right? And they were sore after the first workout. But then afterwards, they weren't really sore that much at all. Armor but plated. It, it, yeah. it kind of depends yep. on what you're doing too. I mean, we were only doing four sets of six, you know, at they were either doing a, a two, four, six second eccentric and the concentric was just a normal cadence, you know, coming up. So th- there's a lot of, and, and there's responders and non-responders too, just like with other things. Right. And that, so in, so in programming this, you really can't, you're programming or dosing it. It's, it's a, you know, it's a horse of a different stripe than what we're talking about, you know, barbell loaded stuff. It's just so much more intense. Um, so that's one thing that you have to consider but the other thing is I do have the ability to look at real time. And I also have a, um, a trend of the client's former, um, outputs. So I can see instantaneously how this dosing is taking effect. So it is, it's almost like auto regulation. Well, it is like auto regulation. If today's the day we go for it. If today's not the day we back off and I can see in an instantaneous, you know, manner, how that client is doing. And the lifter too, right? The lifter can see this too. Yep. And the lifter too, which is, uh, which, which gives the, uh, which gives the lifter a carrot to chase. Right. Yeah. And we've gone through, you know, many iterations of what exactly to show on the screen. Um, and come to find out it's very, very little because you can only absorb, but so much information in the moment. You can either tell if you're up or down. We call it green or yellow. You're either above the line you did before or you're below the line you did before. And that's just about all you can handle. Now, we track many, many other data points. We just don't show all those data points in the moment. Sure. I just need to know if that trainee is above or below. Well, Bam, that's the coolest it. thing, I think, is the you used the term biofeedback earlier. It's that sort of instant feedback for the lifter himself or herself, right? Yeah. That, wow, I'm, I need to push harder or, you know, yeah. that sort of thing. And you find out a lot of cool stuff about how people are wired, you know, whether they're fast twitch predominant or they're slow twitch predominant, because you can see that play out in real time in a couple, in a couple of factors. And number one, 
how long does it take for a person to wind up to full force output? And that's something that we don't think about a whole lot. But even the best athletes, it takes them a bit to wind up to full force output. Yeah, that's funny you mentioned that because, Phil, I, I know you can relate to this because I, 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 I've done it too. You know, when you do speed work, you know, squat, bench, or what, mm-hmm. overhead, or deadlift, it, it, it takes you probably, if you're doing, you know, 10 total sets of, you know, doubles or triples, it takes a good four to five sets to really get your groove and get the bar moving. At RFD, oh, yeah. 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 RFD, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so that's uh, and you can see that even rep to rep. Like I'll have you know some of my more endurance people, rowers or, or distance runners. It takes them you know relatively forever to wind up to full force production and I, within the rep. So I really have to slow the eccentric down. Otherwise, I'm going to fly right past their you know their elbow flexation position that would allow them to create the greatest force if you if you follow what i'm saying yeah, you know what if i can be a fall into teacher mode for a minute here so listeners there's a couple of things that we can think about other than just force you know what you can think of sort of just as the load on the bar in a way the weight uh, in a way but there's also rate of force development so mm-hmm. that's i always consider that like the dragster effect you know you can watch a dragster go from zero to like 200 miles an hour in you know z- no time flat so there's rate of force development. That's explosiveness. And there's other terms, too, that are similar. They're related but a little different, like time to peak power and, yeah. and that sort of thing. Yeah. So there's lots of these explosiveness variables. And what's nice about some of these kinds of equipment is that they can give you visual feedback. Now, I've never done that with the like a research subject watching the screen. Usually I'm watching the console. You know what I mean? But I'm not doing it for training purposes. So this is a really neat concept that kind of goes back to that quantified self idea that we talked about in when we were talking about technology a couple of weeks ago that, you know, you can get real-time numbers on how intensely you're working. Uh, and, again, there's all these variables that you can't you can't see with a barbell yep. unless it's hooked up to something or unless you're on a piece of equipment where you can see it. So it's it's more information that can help you in the midst of a set. And I, I think that's... I think that's really cool. But my big question is this. Phil, let me ask you, and then, Keith, you can respond. Um, My fear with some of this is that it's not going to perfectly translate into performance. That's what I was thinking, too. What's the transferability? Mm -hmm. And so, Phil, how do you do eccentrics? Uh, How much do you really not? Uh, If you do, is it just for hypertrophy phase? You know, what do you do with it? I don't do a lot with it. I do. I guess I do. Pay attention to it some with newer lifters, um, because they generally don't know how to be tight. Right. So you'll see them learn to squat, and it's just like they flop down and oh, then somehow man. get back up. So I'll control the eccentrics on on early lifters, and you know, teaching them how to just control their own body. Um, but other than that, I mean, I'll, I'll use it on some people, I guess. Geez, I, I'm going to contradict myself. It would be very beginning lifters, and then very advanced lifters. <laughs> are the two populations I do it. And then once you're in the middle there, I mean, I just get more use out of just, you know, regular exercises. But um, Well, obviously there's a significant eccentric component to regular training as well. Yeah. You know, so it's not like you're, yeah, you're doing concentric only, right? I mean, maybe yeah, for some I'm, of the Olympic I'm dealing lifters, with I don't know. so many, you know, athletes too. And it's a, a lot of it is just, I'm just more worried about explosion than I am how much they can move how fast they can be. You know, it doesn't, with my baseball players, it doesn't matter if they can deadlift 600 pounds. 
if that doesn't transfer to the field. Right. (laughs) So that's what uh, I was going to bring up about transferability. It, you know, it depends on what your end sport mm -hmm. is. Yeah, it totally does. So if you're a barbell athlete, (laughs) you got to get a barbell in your hand for the majority of the time that you're training. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're a field athlete, you've got to be on the field for the majority of the time that you're training and strength and conditioning is just an augment to your sport. Um, but generally, you know, across all sports, the stronger athlete is the better athlete. Eccentrics are a huge component to strength. So, you know, you just have to you have to utilize the tool where best you can utilize it and at, at a dosing amount that's that's uh, particular to your sport. Mm-hmm. And then you got to get a barbell in your hands or a baseball yeah. glove on your hand, you know that that kind of stuff. You got to swing a bat if you're a baseball player. All of that stuff still plays. You know, Keith, I I learned this lesson myself. I was working with a pretty big D1 football team, and uh, I was working as a sports nutritionist with the strength staff, and I was very eager, like. Let's make these guys huge. Lots of eccentrics because, you know, it's so hypertrophy-inducing, you know. And, again, we had Dr. Antonio on talking about satellite cell activation and hypertrophy. People can go back and and look for that episode. But uh, I really had to back off and say, listen, my time, if I want them to lift a certain way, and I'm working with the strength staff here and feed them a certain way accordingly, I had to do that in sort of the depths of the off-season, you know, because I didn't want them being so sore that they were 15 or 20% weaker you know, because yep. they were so rocked all the time, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Now, I I was always attracted to it, not just from a muscle mass perspective. I knew they weren't bodybuilders. But like you said, when you're super, you know, strong, you're using lots of load. And let's assume that a, a good portion of this is transferable for concentric strength output. Uh, everything you do is more submaximal. You know, when you're huge, I mean, it's hard I know these things uncouple a little, but it's hard to look at a bodybuilder who's really massive and not see some strength, you know, and a lot of what he does during the day is more submaximal because he's just got a bigger engine. You know what yep. I'm saying? Yep, for sure. Yeah, that's one of the questions that's come up before in the past. You know, how do you program but for sports? And my answer to that is when you're doing eccentrics, it usually it needs to be in the off season yeah. because mm-hmm. Because in season, it's all about either maintenance or just speed and explosive power. Right. Last thing you want, last thing you want to do is do a bunch of eccentric stuff on athletes because they're going to be sore and trashed, coupled with travel schedules mm-hmm. and game days and practice and you know just lifestyles and all that stuff. So, um, well, you, yeah, yeah, you need to limit the eccentric stuff in season. Well, here's one thing to think about. Um, in particularly with uh, in-season football players, and I've worked a lot with football players, the one thing that throughout the course of a season that starts to to decrease and really becomes a hamper um, as you get deep into the season is just absolute strength mm-hmm. because there's just no way to be able to work that in it, um, you know, with all the time constraints that these athletes are working working with, with the injuries, with everything else, practice wise, it has to go into it. The absolute strength starts to to decrease. With a tool like this, I could hit them, you know, once or twice a week with a short dose, and I can I might not increase absolute strength, but it, I can surely curb the decrease throughout the season. And I think that's a huge boost. And the the dosing would be so very little just right. to maintain. Yeah. Um, so that's one way to one way to look at this too. I mean, that's another use for the tool. 
All right, so let's I, get practical. I just want to get practical here as we wind down for the listeners then. Let's get one tip from everybody here. You know, you get somebody who's, whether they're a power lifter or a bodybuilder, I know a lot of this depends on the goals, obviously. But So what is a suggestion that you could make with eccentric training uh, as far as people reaching size or strength goals? I'm going to start with a nutrition one just quickly. When you're really sore... You are sore muscles are not taking up blood glucose and packing away glycogen. They're not storing glycogen very well. You can find lots of work on that. John Ivy, Kevin Yerushchevsky. I mean, you could go just through a, a big list of researchers. Um, Mike Sherman. Anyway, the point being is, if you're going to be rocked all the time and you're in the middle of this sort of very soreness-inducing training, at least while you're getting adapted and less sore, getting that armor plating effect going, which will happen. Uh, I would suggest go for the healthier fats as a fuel source. Uh, I actually did some work where we saw higher blood sugars, and Mike Sherman did some stuff with higher insulin in bodybuilders and you know people who lifted and their whole bodies were sore. So I just don't see much reason to pour tons of carbs. You know, I wouldn't be eating my Lucky Charms, for example, when I'm <laughs> rocked from head to toe. You know, with eccentric soreness. So there's a nutrition tip. Maybe focus on the healthy fats like uh, olive oil and that sort of thing if you're really sore. But, Phil, what would your tip be for eccentrics? Well, at the same time, I mean, going off the nutrition part, I would say I wouldn't do a ton of it when you're in a in a stage of training where you're, uh, you know, not eating a lot. You know? True. Yeah, <laughs> uh, true. Because you're going to be doing so much damage. And, um, you know, the, the most time I use it with my lifters and, and athletes is off-season. And usually when they're going up a weight class is when we'll start concentrating on eccentrics more to build more muscle mass. I mean, one of the reasons why, you know, Olympic lifters in, in a weight class sport can stri- train so often is due to the lack of eccentrics in their lifts. You know, there is basically zero eccentric in the Olympic lifts. Yep. Um, in, in the pure lifts themselves. Now, their assistance work, there are in the squats and whatnot. But um, so I would say, you know, try putting them in the off season. And I use them a lot for people when they're, okay, I'm going from 242 to 275 class. It's like, okay, well, let's then, you know, let's do some muscle damage. You know, to, to get bigger, we need to do some damage. You know, it's a good point. You can't. So, I'm not saying don't eat uh, carbs for sure. Yes. I'm just saying focus on the healthy fats, you know, avocados, yes. olive oil. There's lots of great ways to get calories in that might be less, not as hampered, you know, by the soreness. But, yeah, yeah that's and true. if you go wreck yourself, you go wreck yourself in soreness and give this awesome, you know, uh, you know focus for your body to, to potentially create more muscle and then you don't feed it, well – Oh, you just all you did was make yourself sore. That's right. <laughs> well, and let's face it, I mean, fats and carbs are your calorie sources. I mean, I don't think necessarily your protein needs really change. In fact, that's what, yeah. something that's always confused me is during eccentric, that time course, let's say you're sore for a good two, three days, that usual time course for protein synthesis is like 24 hours, 36 yeah. hours maybe after the training. But when you're rocked with soreness, like right now my butt and legs are so sore I can barely sit down. Yeah. And so – clearly that protein synthesis time course is drawn out and i've never yeah. actually seen hard data you know does that pr- muscle building of protein synthesis go out to 48 hours 72 hours you know are you in that protein synthetic state longer you know compared to what we've seen from the early work like duncan mcdougall and those guys yeah. I-, I don't even know but you're right not- you got to keep you got to keep pounding the, the calories yeah and i would potentially lump cuz i do do a lot of pause work I would potentially lump that into the same as eccentric. You know, I do a lot of, with with my lifters. 
uh, lifters, meaning Olympic lifters and power lifters and whatnot, you know, there'll be a lot of of holds at the knee and, and things like that, yeah. and just reinforcing that body to hold that position and become strong there. So right in a, you know, pra- that's a practical that in the same too. area, right? Yeah, yeah similar, so. similar. All right, John, what about you? Uh, I agree with what Phil said, but I think if you're going to incorporate it, I mean, you can do it with, you know, bench, squat, mm-hmm. not really so much deadlift, although you can do it with, like, things like RDLs or uh, any kind of type of dumbbells. But I would, you know, based on the results that, that we got, and we haven't ran the complete stats yet, but just from what I've seen, I don't really think in terms of the transferability to strengthen hypertrophy, I don't really think there's much of a need to go beyond six seconds um, because, again, the transferability is is low. And the, the, the weight that you're using, you know, goes down um, and the transferability to higher loads, okay, at, go, goes down. So I don't really think there's much need to go beyond six seconds. So I would, I would say if you're going to start with eccentrics, you know, four to six seconds, I mean, you can go three to five. I mean, if, if you want to start conservative, go three to five eccentric duration and then just explode up on all the concentric, you know, type of reps. But it does work. Um, there's no doubt about that. <laughs> okay, so just to reiterate what you just said, if you go for longer than six seconds on the way down, you simply have to use less weight. Yeah, you got to use less weight, but the transferability to higher loads, like meaning if 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 you're trying to put weight on your bench or your squat or whatever, when you go a longer Eastern dur- duration, yes, you have to use less weight, but the transferability to higher loads, meaning trying to get uh, you know a big PR, 25, 30, 40, 50 pounds or whatever, the likelihood of that going up goes down. That makes sense. Yeah, it, yeah, it does. And then Keith, what about you? So uh, you've got the equipment. You've made some uh, definite observations with this stuff. So uh, what would you say for a you know power lifter and bodybuilder kind of audience? Well, that this is what I would say. I, I kind of look at it from the um, from the recuperation recovery aspect. So I'm gonna I'm gonna rock the eccentrics. But I'm going to speed recovery by doing concentrics on the following day or following days for the same muscle group. So, for instance, uh, Lonnie, you said your your legs were dusted up from working out. Now is a great time to do concentric only work. And I don't I don't claim to know the science behind it. I just know anecdotally that really speeds the recovery. So, for instance, today for you would be a great day to push a sled concentric 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 work um and for whatever reason and again i i don't know scientifically why i can't say but i can say anecdotally that that really increases the recovery well if i can offer this and john maybe you have the authors uh on the tip of your tongue but uh, i think priscilla clarkson's lab who's sort of the queen of this eccentric soreness and recovery uh they were looking i'm almost sure it was her lab they were looking at immobilized muscles that were very sore from prior yes. eccentric and then yes, and when you're when you actually start to move around creatine kinase and some of these damage markers actually go up and i always looked at that as a good thing right because it's like out with the old in with the new like if you just sit very if you sit and don't move the next day when you're rocked if my if my memory serves your creatine kinase and some of these other damage markers is actually lower when you're immobilized the next day. But when you start to move, your blood values go up, which suggests that muscle is actually sort of shedding a lot of that um, damaged material. Does that make sense to you, John? Yeah, it does. And and I kind of understand what Keith is saying because a lot of times for like conditioning into my training sessions, 
you know, regardless of what I do, I'll just push the sled, push the prowler for, you know, a, a bunch of reps. And I just, you know, you feel looser. You actually feel like you just kind of recover from your training session. And the next day, you're not really a sore. You guys are brutal, though. I'm telling you, the, the idea of pushing a sled right now is not attractive to me. <laughs> Uh, no, that's no, good think, advice. Yeah, so keep moving is what you're saying, Keith. Yeah, but in, but concentric. So, so if you go back to doing squats again, now you're right back to damaging the muscle mm-hmm. again, and you're damaging it with the eccentrics. Even if you're squatting light, gotcha. Mm-hmm. If you're pushing a sled. That's purely concentric mm-hmm. work. You know, we're right, talking right. about the quadriceps here, but it's purely concentric work on that muscle group, and it really, really helps in speeds recovery. Okay. No, that's that's good stuff. All right, everybody. Well, we are out of time. So thanks for being on. Thank you. Right on. Had a great time. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, thanks so much, Keith. That's great perspective. And it's cool new technology that we can kind of touch on, too, with what you're doing Mm -hmm. there. Yeah, it's good stuff. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, it's very, very cool stuff. I'd love for you guys to get your hands on it if you're ever down in Austin or uh, in Chicago. We have a showroom in Chicago, too. You can check it out. It's, It's very, very cool stuff. Right on. All right. Hey listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry. And they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store. Uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, The stuff you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, Please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding. The Iron Radio podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.